0: All of life is a ripening, if you will. Uh, From the time we're born until the time we leave this earth, um, we ripen, we grow, and God uses the time to bring us to blossom, if you will, through a variety of ways. in my own life I can point to several different times when I felt like my eyes, my heart, my faith was open to new ways of seeing that perhaps uh, they weren't before. Um, for some people they experience the change, uh, the change of their life, of their faith all at once. Um, but for me it's been an experience of a lifetime of slowly coming to a deeper place and a deeper place and a deeper place and oftentimes assuming that I've arrived at whatever that place is only to discover there's more of a journey ahead. One such time uh, uh, such such a time as this. uh, My undergraduate degree is in religious studies from the University of Virginia and uh, so I studied a lot about religion, world religion, Christian faith, other kinds of uh, pieces. Um, I remember studying Old Testament uh, with Kyle McCarter and he read to us from the Bible when uh, when he was reading the Old Testament to us. He read to us directly from the Hebrew, which is to say he held the Hebrew Bible in his hand and read to us like he was talking to us in English uh, because he was such a Hebrew scholar. And then I learned New Testament, or at least had an intro to New Testament, with uh, Harry Gamble, whom I like to call Harry the heretic, uh, because he told me things about uh, Scripture that my Sunday school teacher never told me. Uh, And I didn't know what to do with those kinds of things initially. Until I decided, you know, ministry was the gig for me, at least I thought it was at the time, and so I went off to seminary, and I did. Uh, I went to Candler School of Theology down in, uh, at Emory University in Atlanta. And the first year was a tough year, learning to figure out what was going on and pastoring four churches just outside of Athens. And in my second year, the fall semester of my second year, I had systematic theology. And systematic theology is, I think, designed to make or break you. Uh, Maybe I don't know, um, but I remember the day. I can almost remember the seat. If I could go back and sit in that classroom, it was a large lecture uh, class, and I can remember that Don Saliers, who was uh, a professor of worship, but also co-taught the uh, systematic theology class, standing up on a on a early on in the lectures and saying. Um, For most of you in faith, you've built a house of cards. You've spent a lifetime figuring out all these little tiny pieces that you think absolutely have to be true or your faith will fall apart. What happens if one of those cards gets pulled out? Sometime while you're in seminary or at some point when you imagine that God will just magically take care of you all the time and something comes unglued, how will you come to terms with that? Well, what Don Sellier said at that point was you have to choose carefully what cards are going to be in your house of cards, who Jesus is for you, maybe that's an important card, uh, how old the earth is, if that's important to you, then you know, by all means, believe the, either the the biblical narrative that gives you about 5,000 years or science that gives you 14 billion years or some kind of dance in between, but decide, is it worth building your house on cards on the house being the the earth being 5,000 years old? Is it really worth it? And for some people it is. But you have to decide what's most important. And that was a watershed moment because all the things I had learned from Harry the heretic were no longer heretical to me because they were stretching, they were growing. And I think maybe for the first time in my life, I was about 24, I became what I would consider to be a true seeker. Someone who sought what wisdom this faith that I have signed on to might offer me. A way to live my life every day, not just to memorize the facts that are in this book, um, but to actually discover how I could apply this to my everyday life. Because otherwise, what's the point? You know, it's just another academic exercise. And I think for all of you, you gather here every week, not because you're interested in an academic exercise, but because you want to figure out what to do with your life. And you're hoping that maybe, just maybe this week, James might say something uh, that will touch me. And if he doesn't, maybe communion will connect with me. Or maybe the music will draw me closer. Or maybe I'll just have a conversation I've had several people say to me that they had a conversation, on a Sunday morning, they can't remember anything that happened in in worship, but they had a conversation in the lobby with someone who actually listened to them when they were struggling, changed their lives. So you never know where those encounters are going to come. So enter into the picture, Uh, my friends, we have traditionally called them the wise men, we sing a song at Christmas time about them, we three kings, we have no idea if they're kings, that's a tradition. We don't, you know, the word magi actually probably means something more like astrologer, somebody who studies the stars uh, for portents and wisdom that might come from the studying of the stars, uh, but in any case, those, those, the story of the wise men Uh, from the East, has always struck me. Now the funny thing was, originally I was supposed to start a new series this morning. Only, unfortunately, I was going by a whole different calendar than I gave to the worship team. So I've been preparing mentally for next week to start the whole new series about breathing underwater and our struggles with various kinds of addictions in the world. I've been working towards next week only to discover... Like Mark texted me earlier this week, not Mark Haskins, Mark Hayes, and said, so James, are you starting powerlessness this week? And I was like, no, I'm not. Am I supposed to? So I pulled out the revised copy of the calendar, which told me that I had told James, throwing him under the bus, and Mark, throwing him under the bus, that this Sunday we were starting powerlessness. So one of those wonderful things. But as it is, I I love talking about these These wise folks from the East. Doesn't even really say in the text how many there were. You know, we've got three, but doesn't say in the text how many there were. We don't know. Tradition has said three. All right. Looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, this is what it says Jesus was born at Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of Herod. After his birth, astrologers from the East arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the child? who is born to be king of the Jews. We observe the rising of his star, and we have come to pay him homage. King Herod was greatly perturbed. That's a pretty good translation, actually. King Herod was greatly perturbed when he heard this, and so was the whole of Jerusalem. But let's just be honest, mostly King Herod. Uh, He called a meeting of the chief priests and lawyers of the Jewish people and put before them the question, where is it that the Messiah is to be born? At Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. And they referred him to the prophecy which reads, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, you are far from the least in the eyes of the rulers of Judah. Far, For out of you shall come a leader to be called the shepherd of my people, Israel. Herod next called the astrologers to meet him in private and ascertained from them the time when the star had appeared. He then sent them on to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a a careful inquiry for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I may go myself and pay him homage. They set out at the king's bidding, and the star which they had seen uh, was rising before them and went ahead of them until they found the place where the child lay. At the sight of the star, they were overjoyed. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and bowed to the ground in homage to him. And then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned home another way. This is the gospel of our Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. Now, this is a story about some number of wise people who seek, set out seeking. They're not sure exactly what they're seeking for. They have seen the sign that something big is coming. A sign in the stars that gave them an idea. They were paying close enough attention. Now, you know, everybody, if you've ever seen any of those Christmas specials on television, you've got this, gr- it's like having a floodlight. From the heavens, it's it's like, and it points in one place. Uh, you know, when there's a grand opening and you see all of the floodlights from a place in the sky, that's how we imagine this star was. But chances are pretty good that it wasn't that noticeable because if it was that noticeable everybody would have seen it, not just astrologers from the east. It probably wasn't some kind of spotlight from heaven. As much as it was an unusual star or the burning out of a star or the shining or flaring of a star in the distance, whatever it was, it was small enough that it took people who actually seriously study the stars to see it. Because otherwise, everybody would say, man, there's this bright light over Bethlehem. Let's go over there and see what's happening. Dude, man, have you seen that light? Man, I can't even sleep at night. It's coming in through my windows. That is not <laughs> probably what it looked like. It might have looked like that. I wasn't there. I know I'm old, but I'm not that old. I was not there to see it. So they see this star, and it gives them some kind of indication that something is occurring, so they go to the capital of you know of Israel, which is really just sort of a puppet capital, because Herod is really not by line. He shouldn't be the king. Uh, he's a puppet king placed in power by Rome. That's uh, by foreign power. So he's he's not uh, he's not the real king. But where do you go to find out what's going on in somebody's country? You go to the you go to the capital. So they go to Jerusalem and they ask, Herod, we saw a star. A king, a real king, by the way, is born. (laughs) I don't know if I were Herod how I would hear that, but perturbed might be an understatement. (laughs) Really ticked off, concerned, willing to wipe out any threat to my power at any expense. That, That would be what I would hear. But in any case, Herod plays along pretty good. He said, listen, I'm going to get together my scholars, some good, you know, folks who have studied the Bible, know what it's all about, and maybe they'll give us an answer. And they do. Gets together the chief priests and the scholars of the law, and they say, hey, it's going to happen in Bethlehem. So Herod calls together the astrologer guys, the magi, the wise men, whatever you want to call them, and says, you know where it is? It is in Bethlehem. Go there. And by the way, I want you to spy out where he is because, of course, I want to go and worship him, too. That's what it's all about. I want to worship him. Uh, You can read into that whatever you want to. I can't imagine that's really what Herod was looking for. So off they uh, go, the astrologers, to Bethlehem. It's not a horribly long distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They arrive, they find Jesus, and they are so impacted by having searched and found him, that they fall flat on their face. You know, I, I pictured bow down, you know, kind of like on my knees, or you know, maybe an eastern bow kind of thing. That this, the the word would lead you to believe they prostrated themselves on the floor. They laid down on the floor. They were so overwhelmed by the power that they encountered. And then in encountering that God and having a, having a dream. They went home a different way. There are a couple of things that I observe in this story that I think are important for us to see that really apply to us today. One is, if you are a seeker, it's a good thing. If you are seeking the answer, if you think you've already arrived, that may not be a good thing. If you are certain you already have all the answers to what God needs from you and what life is all about, then, you know, what's the point? You can stop coming now. You have graduated from church. Move on. Um, However, I suspect if you're anything like me, you know, I've studied this stuff for a long time, and I'm only now beginning to realize how much I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I, I was sure about 30 years ago how much I knew, and now, 30 years later, I know how much I don't know, which means I know God and I love God and I know God loves me and I know some other things about this book but in the end that's not enough for me I want to learn with every breath to surrender all that I am to this God to be willing like these wise guys who came from the east to bow down to the one and only king of the entire universe that's what I want to get to to that place where it's not about me, where it's not about my prestige as a cool pastor who wears Saint James shirts, you know, misleading people into believing the church is named after me, you know, uh, sure it's named after me, the Saint part especially. <coughs> uh, yeah. No, I don't. I try never to mislead people. It's always an intriguing way. No one ever forgets who's the pastor over at that Saint James Church. Is he Bob? No, it's James. Uh, and we have several Jameses, you know, uh, and we're looking for more. If you're online and you're thinking about coming, another James would be good. Uh, we only have three. The truth of this whole thing is that we are seeking, and we're willing to go the distance. These wise men from the east may have journeyed as much as two years to get where they were going. Two years. They didn't have cars, there was no expressway, wasn't the Autobahn where you could travel as fast as your car will travel, you know, it was camels and caravans and long distances and sleeping out under the stars. And I think it's pretty cool to sleep out under the stars, but for two years, I'm not so sure. (laughs) Two years of sleeping under the stars is a little challenging. And yet that's what they did because it was that important to them. Are you The question we need to ask ourselves as we begin this new year is, are we willing to go the distance to find this Jesus, this God who has meaning for our lives? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Because apparently, even these non-Jews were willing to go as far as it took. And so two years into their journey, they stop off, they find Herod. Now, the Herod guy reminds me... Uh, one of the wonderful things about biblical stories is you can see yourself in any character. In fact, the biblical stories are designed so you'll see yourself in every character at some point. I don't, I, you know, one of the things I see in Herod is the desire to control. I like to be in control. I like to be in control of my life. I like to be in control of my environment. I like to be in control of a lot of things. Most of it's an illusion. In fact, I would say all of it is an illusion to think I'm in control of anything. But Herod imagines that he is. And as long as you imagine that you are, you're willing to do anything you possibly can to hold on to that control. And Herod is hanging on by a thread. Quite frankly, what we know about Herod was he, the Jewish people were not fond of him as a leader. They thought he was a usurper. He didn't belong on the throne. The only reason he was able to stay in power was with the backing of Rome. That was the whole way. So he held tight. And the tighter you hold on to something, the more it slips through your fingers. So if you're holding on to control, maybe you'll see yourself inherited. So you're going to stomp out anything that threatens to take you out of control. If there's a king born somewhere nearby, oh no, that's not happening. We're going to do something about that. And what's the thing we're going to do well we're not reading that part today (laughs) but we have a plan we'll make sure nobody else challenges our control now we have another set of players religious scholars people like me people who have spent you know i spent eight years of my life since high school studying religion in one form or another and then since then Now, of course, I spent the first 18 years growing up in church and Sunday school, so I spent those years kind of as an amateur studier. (laughs) And then ever since then, every week, all the time, I'm reading this book, or one that's exactly like it, that's a different translation. I am constantly uh, looking for what the text might be saying. But the challenge of those scholars is they never do anything about what they learn. Other than point where Jesus is, do you notice them leave Jerusalem to go and see this thing that has come to pass? It's not enough to simply learn as much as you can for your head. You've got to go and meet God personally because God wants to meet you. Right where you are, God wants to meet you. And the only way that's going to happen is if you get out of your comfort zone. You know, if you're in charge of a religious institution and you want to sit in your office in the ivory tower all the time, it's a wonderful thing to do. Lots of people do it. I don't. I don't, you know, James and I periodically meet in this building for, uh, you know, our weekly staff meeting. I don't know if we can call that weekly anymore. It's been like four weeks. But uh, other than that, mostly we try to meet in public places. I try to be out with people. That's where... God is. That's where things are happening. When you're in this room, yeah, God's here. And God's here even when you're not in this room. But I'm more likely to encounter God out in the world. This is not the only sacred space there is. Everything is sacred to God. And sometimes I have to launch out and go to strange places to meet God where God is. I have to be willing to get out of my comfort zone. And unfortunately for these religious scholars... They're not. They are not willing to stretch themselves. They're willing to study and tell exactly it's in Bethlehem. That's where it's going to happen. And can we come along with you and find this thing that you're looking for? Because if it's happened, we want to see it. No, it's okay. It's enough for me to keep God at the comfortable distance of the biblical text. If I just read this book... I can keep God comfortably in the box that I want, especially if I choose, I pick and choose which ones of the verses I want to read in here, because I can fit God into any one of my many boxes if I just study this book. But God wants to know me. That's what the biblical story says he wants to know me. And not just by name, because God already knows my name. If I believe Jesus, and by the way, I do, God already knows how many hairs I have on my head. It's apparently an ever reducing number. So, uh, but God already knows the hairs on my head. God is that intrigued by me and by you. But God wants you to know God back, God wants you to be open to what God wants to do in your life, to break you open from some of the boxes that you have built for yourself. It's okay in the early part of your life to build some really comfortable boxes about God because that's the best way to do it. I spent 50 years of my life boxing God into neat little packages. The last six years I've been taking God out of that box and saying, you know, what's surprising to me is you're out there too. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Well, that's God. God is everywhere waiting to encounter me if I just open my eyes. That's why we do that breathing thing. That's why we do centering prayer every Tuesday night here. It's a practice of learning to be present because if we could only learn to be present now, we might see God now in each other's faces, in in the brown grass, in the leaves that blow by, in the sunshine, in the dirt. In an ant mound, wondering at the, you know, God knows the ants and what they're all about. God's interested in quarks. I don't even know exactly what they are, but they're really teeny tiny things. And God is fully present in them in the same way God is fully present in the entire universe. And that same God wants to know you. Want you to get out of your comfort zone. Want you to be stretched. To let go of control every once in a while. Because it's only an illusion anyway. And to trust. To trust he's going to show himself to you. Going to open your eyes to the wonder of God's presence everywhere. All the time. That's. You know, God can be all the time. You can only be now. You can't be yesterday. You can't be tomorrow. God can be, but you can't be. You can only be now. So since you can only be now, wouldn't you like to encounter God now? (laughs) And not just in retrospect, you know, that was really God yesterday that I was hanging out with when the wind was blowing. But I missed it. Kind of like the innkeeper waiting for love his entire life, opens the door, sorry, no room, closes it to Mary and Joseph. God's just waiting for you to open the door and say, I'll go where you go. I'll do what you do. I surrender. I surrender. I thought I was in charge of my life, but I want you to be in charge of setting my course, and I'll flow along. Right where I am. The last thing I see in the wise men that I think is worthy of our attention is the fact in a dream, they're told not to go back. And they listen to the dream. But I don't think once you've encountered God, you can ever go back the way you came. I don't think you can ever go back the way you came. Once you've encountered God, there's only one way, and it's forward. It's <laughs> forward into the unknown. I'm a creature of habit. I make my oatmeal the same way every day. The weekend freaks me out a little bit because I don't make it that way on the weekend, so I just anxiously await Monday when I make oatmeal again the same way. On New Year's Day, Josh and three of his friends who had come into town to celebrate New Year's and... Hannah, our daughter, and her boyfriend Jay had come into town. And on New New Year's Day, we made three pounds of bacon, two pounds of sausage, and somewhere between 60 and 80 pancakes. (laughs) Messed my whole day up. (laughs) There was no oatmeal on the stove and the simple making and watching the boiling of the water and the stirring. There was pancakes and bacon and mm. So happy on Wednesday when it was back to oatmeal. I am a creature of habit, but God wants to break me out of that. God wants me to learn to see things in new ways. We're all creatures of habits. Starting next week, we're going to talk about the kinds of habits that sometimes addict us. And we think of people with addictions as people like with alcohol or drugs or other kinds of things. We're addicted to the way we think. <laughs> we're addicted to the way we look at the world. God wants us to break out of that. That's what we're going to start talking about next week. But it's not next week yet. It's now. So what can I take from this now, James? Don't be afraid to launch out and seek. And don't be afraid to find whatever you're going to find. Trust in religious scholars only insofar as they can point you where you're going. But in the end, you have to find it for yourself. Go and find it. And seek until you find. Knock until the door gets opened. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And that's what this story says to me. So, if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, start looking, start opening. Trust, God will show you the way. Don't miss the signs. Don't miss the signs. And if it takes two years to get where you're going, you know, it's two years worth spending.